So there's a wonderful saying that's often attributed to Dr. Seuss. Whether he actually said it or not, I don't know. But it goes, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. It seems like this year we started out with a whole lot of crying, and this last week was no exception. And many people find that platitude annoying because they misinterpret it as saying that we should never be sad. No. The point isn't that we should never be sad. It's about finding the gratitude in the thing that's lost, celebrating the wondrous, interesting thing that enriched our life for however short a period of time. One of the things I've noticed is that despite the tragic and surprising disappearance of yet another hero, another artistic genius, it's the joy, the gratitude I've seen in all those celebrating what this hero, this musical genius created. Why are we sad? Well, it's because these heroes represent something of the magic of our childhood, and it feels taken, stolen. As children, our eyes are opened for the first time, and the most mundane, the most ordinary things are fascinating. And the interesting, magnificent, wondrous things, well, they're simply nothing short of magical to a child. In many ways, the collective of our experience of these interesting, magnificent, wondrous things define who we are. But then comes our adult eyes, the grown-up view. As Supertramp would say, we become sensible, logical, responsible, practical. We see a bunch of boxes that need to be broken down instead of the raw materials for a fort. We see the hidden agendas and a piece of creative marketing content instead of just appreciating it for something that a human created. We exploit the hero's pain and somehow try and make practical sense of the details of how he died instead of just celebrating the magic of his life. To me, this is what Prince meant by the lyric. Instead of asking how much of your life is left, ask him how much of your mind. Because in this life, things are much harder than in the afterworld. In this life, you're on your own. And if the elevator tries to bring you down, go crazy. Punch a higher floor. So be grateful. Open your eyes to when you saw for the very first time. And that's the theme for this week's show. Gratitude. For the things we had and lost. For the things we have now. And perhaps most of all, gratitude for the things that we're going to have. Success in our career, our family, our life, because we're already making it happen. Because you know what? If you just open your child's eyes, it's all pretty awesome. Don't cry when it's hard. Smile, because it's going to happen. And with that, it's time for us to get this show on the road. You ready to punch a higher floor? Let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 128 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, April 25th, 2016. And with me, as always, my friend, my co host, my colleague, and the man I'm most grateful for in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm. I'm very grateful to uh, produce another uh, <laughs> PNR with my friend here. So, uh, and, and you had a busy week this week, correct? It you was were, a you, busy week. It was you uh, and I both did. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those. I, I I actually posted on Facebook. I said, you know, this is one of those weeks where 
You get on an airplane, you land at midnight, you hope to gosh your hotel room is going to be ready, you get up, you do your thing the next morning, and then you race to the airport with literally an hour to, to spare. You get there, you've got 20 minutes to catch your connecting flight, and then you land at rush hour. You know, it's like so many things could have gone wrong in that, um, and it didn't. And so, you know, well, speaking of the theme, I'm grateful that it didn't. But it was, yeah, it's been, it was a busy week. And you too, I mean, you were cavorting all around Europe. I, you know what? Taking three flights to get <laughs> to, to, get to Europe, home, yeah, exactly. Not, not <laughs> something. That's something I not would recommend. Do it. But not I have to tell you this: I had a great time in Stockholm. Saw a lot of wonderful friends. They're amazing. So there, truly great. So I, I love that Annette place. And Bjorn, and yeah. just, it was just a great, great time. Um, the one thing I have to tell you, because this is specific to you. And you know this. We've talked about this before. Remember in the past when we would go and we'd give presentation, they'd they'd say, Robert or Joe, I love the book. Or I love what Content Marketing Institute is doing. And, oh, I'm looking forward to going to Content Marketing World. We still hear those things. But bar none, the largest amount of impact is always, oh, my God, I listen to the podcast. Oh, that's nice. Robert is so awesome. No, no. That's the, that's I love Robert's well, new <laughs> intros. I'm like, oh, thanks. Do you know I'm on podcast? Too? Yeah, no, know. gosh, that matters. No. Well, I mean, really. not to toot our own horn here, but we got there was an Inc. article. We're not going to cover this story, but there was an Inc. article that gave us we are the number one podcast according to this article, and their top ten must must listen. Well, you know, I'm going to toot our own horn a little bit. Beep beep. Well, you yeah. know, it just it just goes to the power of audio. And yeah, you can get you you build a relationship with people. They know. I mean, even when you and I met, um, you know, what was it? Sunday, Monday at Social Media Marketing. World? Right. Yeah. How many people were we talking to on the battleship that were coming over saying, "Oh my God, you're both together, podcast." Yeah, it's it was. Just, it's wonderful. It's crazy. It's, it's totally it's, it's wonderful. It's very humbling, as you can tell. We're it very, absolutely. <laughs> <very humbled. laughs> the whole thing, right? But it is fun. It's better than the, just being totally. It obscure. is. It makes work very, very fun. There is no doubt about that. But we had a, a, a somewhat busy news week. It was a busy news week. We had, um, as the as the saying goes on the show, we had a cornucopia of uh, things to choose from here. So we'll open up with our favorite um, sort of uh, whipping boy here of uh, Facebook. Um, and it is a scary new world for media companies, or so says the Business Insider. Big hat tip here, by the way, to James Gardner, who sent this over via the hashtag. Um, and it opens up by saying Facebook has created a scary new world for media companies in the last Last few years, much digital ink has been spilled over what happens to content in a future where Facebook and potentially Snapchat and other messaging apps entirely control distribution instead of the content creators themselves. The question for a company like Business Insider in this new world is, how do you get readers to your content and advertisers to sell against it when readers don't discover it on Business Insider, but rather a shared uh, piece of rented land? And so the article goes on to talk about, and it's a really, it's a nice sort of, I don't know, a roundup really of a bunch of links there. It's a great mm-hmm. sort of anchor page for all these different sort of opinions and great essays on this whole idea. So from that perspective, it's just a wonderful piece. But what did you make of this whole, this whole, this, you know, this, this sort of scary new world for media companies, you coming from the media world? Well, one, one's particularly interesting, and I want to cover that in a second, but just the highlights of the fact that 85 cents of every digital ad dollar is going to Facebook and Google. Yeah. That, that's amazing. That's just and it's the whole the, the the chart in here that talks about. I'm not sure how, I believe that, by the way, but I'll well, but I'll, I'll I'll come back to that. 
Well, yeah. yeah, you can, whatever it is, we know that the majority, I think, is going there. And I think that when you look at uh, the whole idea of the article talking about following the distribution, ad dollars are following distribution. And what does that mean? And I thought that that was interesting, but it was the, the, the thing that hit me the, the hardest. And you and I have talked about this on this show, and I can't remember what episode it was, but they go through the idea that Facebook could either create its own content to fill in some of the gaps if they're not getting the necessary content creation, which, you know, we've talked about that as a possibility, or they could go out and buy media companies to fill in some of this gap from the content. So they can, they can basically corner the market. They can be the content and the distribution. And I honestly, I wanted to get your take on this. The only thing I think that is stopping them from doing this is the FTC. <laughs> well, uh, I don't. I don't, I don't think the FTC is stopping them from doing anything. Quite frankly, yeah. I well, think- you don't think that they would say, "Oh no, this is not fair," because they own they they own the content and the distribution, and it's just. Well, they that's might. A, that's an uh, unrealistic you know, monop- uh, monopoly. They can't do that or whatever. Well, it assumes the FTC knows what it's doing in this regard. So, I mean, uh, you know, I think. I think they'd be well down that path before, and and arguably are well down that path already. Um, you know, I, I definitely when when it comes to, and we talked about this on the show last week, this idea of the branded content and sort of them giving the ability to for brands to create branded content pieces, that starts to get really interesting um, from the FTC's point, and you know from basically where they're starting to enforce native advertising and branded content sorts of things now. I wonder if they'll get involved with sort of the more monopolistic types of idea of the sort of the source and distribution of content. I I can't see them, you know, in a world, even with as big a market share as they have, I can't see them sort of um, taking any action here. Well, okay. Have you seen The Social Network, the movie? I did, of course, yeah. Absolutely, I did both. So regardless of how... Uh, true that is. We know there's truth in it. Right. And truthiness. How, yes. It's truthiness. And how controlling Zuckerberg was. Sure. And is. And and that's a very... Uh, control is something... He wants to control every part of the process. I believe that's true. I believe now, that's true as well. Okay. Now, what part of the process does Facebook not control? The content. Well, okay, they do. But, right, right. right. Oh, all right, keep uh, going. Yeah, no, up, up. okay. I'm, okay. I'm, I am making you're, a point. You're, yeah, so no, follow me along on this little right. journey. I'm, I'm, I'm with you so far. Okay, the content is is where the control is. Now, the last part. I'm going to read the last paragraph here because I think it's interesting. So, last paragraph says, "But while right now is certainly a rocky period for media, and one that may well persist for some time, Facebook is not some giant that will simply take all of our jobs." like a content-devouring robot. It is merely the platform that is just now learning how much it needs you, be, meaning the media and content creators, just as much as you need it. I completely disagree with that statement. I don't think Facebook needs anyone else anymore. They, um, they can make the decision anytime to do whatever they want to do with their, with their content partnerships and creating their own content or however they want to make it work for them. And I think that they're biding time. I, I think that there's something else that's going to happen here that's going to really shake up brands, or or maybe it's the point where we've been talking about. And of course, I wrote a I wrote an article on Content Marketing Institute about this, uh, about the idea of rented land, where they're really trying to seduce more and more people to putting their platforms onto Facebook, where Facebook is the place to create content, and it's all and they have as much control over it as possible. 
All right. Well, okay. So, yeah. Well, okay. So here's what I would say to that. I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think that's, I, I think they have to do that because if you look at the trend, so I, this is not an article we're covering here, but of course, it's been well reported that the content creation by the users, in other words, by the audience, is on the decline. Yeah. Right. So Pareto's law in spades is at work here where a very small percentage of the user base actually creates content that gets shared on Facebook. And most of what people do on Facebook is now consume content. That means it absolutely is imperative that Facebook create original, interesting things to keep the network relevant. And so it's going to have to get into the quote-unquote programming business because it has to actually feed the monster for interesting things that will get shared. And so, you know, well, I don't know. But but the the point being is that I – don't disagree at all that it's, that they're trying to build, you know, whether you call it a walled garden or sort of, you know, a second internet or whatever you want to, you know, sort of look at it as. No doubt about that. Now, I don't necessarily believe, and maybe this is just me being a little Pollyanna, but but I don't necessarily believe they can be successful at that. I think they can continue to grow up until a point. I think there is going to be a flattening of the growth. I just there I have to, to believe I have to believe to that. Be. Yes. There I, has to be. You cannot grow it. There's no company in the history of any companies have grown this fast at this much it's just it's just never happened. I, I and and there and there which is, you know, the, as as good as my prognostication can get. And so please don't buy stocks on my advice. But basically, I just feel like there there is a ceiling in sight. Now, that may be well after they've done the same thing to Instagram and, and made a couple of more acquisitions that and maybe they pivot. Oh, you know, there's the, runway. You know, You're yeah, right. There's, there's absolutely runway, runway here. here. But it's yeah. but it's, you know, now just a quick just a quick check on the facts here. So, you know, it's it's actually more than I thought, but it's not quite 85%, right? So it's not – so the, the IAB just came out – this is depending on whose numbers you really believe. IAB just came out literally last week and said that it was almost $60 billion in digital ad revenue generated um, last year, 2015. Now, another source, another study has shown, or basically the public records for Facebook have shown that in 2015, they generated $17 billion in advertising revenue. And so that's not, that's not you know, that's not yeah, 85%, but, percent, quarter, but it's a Google lot. Just had, but Google's quarter was just 20-some billion. Right. So... That's exactly right. So Google is still getting a lot of advertising yeah. revenue, you know. So it's it's you know, and and where is that going? I, you know, it's 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 you know, it's mobile. It's it's all it's all the the what the IAB found was that it was all mobile. Mobile mobile ad revenues have have really just exponentially increased. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? All right, let's all right. get off of Facebook. Let's do it. No, enough with that. No enough more Facebook. With, uh, you can't say Facebook the rest of the episode. Facebook, Facebook, <laughs> that Facebook. will be impossible. The drinking <laughs> game. The drinking game. Um, all right. Here comes uh, another death. Uh, you know, following another the recipe. One? Another one. Yes. The death of content marketing. Why brands must become cultural currency. Um, this one on Medium.com um, by David Armano, who we actually know. 
Um, and the uh, the article starts out by saying, before there was social media, before there was mobile and the video revolution, there was blogging. Once heralded as a revolution in communications and to a degree, marketing, self-expression and direct publishing of the written word became an influential force to deal with. Blogging in written word form has been a commodity for some time. And he goes on to talk about how content itself will become will continue to become a commodity and goes on from there making I, I guess a point that content marketing is now a commodity or dead or something like that. I wasn't quite sure where he was going with that. What did you what did you think about this? Because I think it the the, the more important part here is not necessarily the death of content marketing again, but it's but it's sort of the point of I think he's trying to make is that very much like that Harvard Business Review article that we covered a few shows ago, that the whole point here is becoming culturally relevant, um, which to me is just you create through good content. But, I, you know, did you did you find something different here? I and I, I know and right. You and I, you and I know David, but yeah. I, I don't agree with a lot of this article. First, this first off, there's simply too much of it, as in content. He's, there's always been too much content. How many right. times do we have to talk about this? Is not a new thing. There's been too much content since the printing press. Right. So it's almost like we just thought, oh, today, content shock and all that stuff. Well, yeah. Of course, yeah. Okay, for for five hundred years. So, <laughs> right. I, okay. Right. I, I'm now. What do we do about that? Well, we focus on one audience. We focus on their needs and pain points, and we cover that area consistently, better than anyone else. They become to know, like, and trust us, and it works out great as a business model. Sure. Um, and so, yeah. one way to do that is to become, as he says, cultural currency. I think. I think there is a point there, in terms of becoming the cultural currency of you know that sort of dealing with relevance in the culture but i i think to, when i look at that and i say okay great what is cultural currency well it is the ability to create communication i.e. content that is actually relevant to the culture in which it exists in and so is that not just if we sort of take the fractions there and simplify it all the way down to the common denominator isn't that just creating great content i mean that's what I. I mean, I guess it's just another way to say it. Is what he what he's the other th- the other thing that I thought of when he gets into the idea of cultural influencers and well, he goes basically through the influencer ecosystem. The first thing I thought of is there's a book on this. It's called Brandscaping. It's by Andrew Davis. Right. And Andrew Davis talks about how you look <clears throat> at different influencers in the in the channels that you're trying to develop content and be the leading expert in whatever, and you build these relationships with reputational influencers, cultural influencers, whatever the case is, and you co-create content together. That's right. And that's sort of how it works. And I guess in this case, it works to sort of – be part of what's going on culturally and stuff that's important to you. Uh, is that right? Is that what I'm? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, you know, I, you know, so here's a, if so, and this goes a little bit to our this old marketing example this week, but in an in an adjacent industry, um, I look at what uh, 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 Emerson is doing, right? So Emerson. Uh, is a big, you know, obviously manufacturer and all, all things, you know, electronics and 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 and, and that, you know, a big, big, big business. And one of the initiatives they put forward as a content marketing concept 
is this sort of subscription-based blog or website, if you will, and it's all about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, and the education that's behind that. Now, they could have done that. They could have just launched a blog or an online magazine talking about STEM and why it's so important and all that kind of stuff. But what they did that was really interesting was they they got that influencer, the I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but he's a YouTube star and he does the uh, I effing love science guy. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, sure. and so he's the, he's the sort of host of their blog. He's the host of their YouTube videos. He's the host of their show, quote unquote. And they're using his audience to drive relevance for their audience, which is, of course, young people in very targeted markets where they're trying to drive interest and thus hiring for their customers. They're trying to draw benefit for their customers to make STEM and mathematics and engineering interesting for people to get into. So their customers see that they're doing this big effort and so on and so forth. It's a great content marketing initiative, but it's using cultural relevance driven through an influencer as their sort of source. In other words, they're leveraging someone to help tell their story and i just i don't really know why we have to divide it down this well see line. that's that's the point i think there's a really good article here on influencer relations that's right and if you by the way at social media marketing world influencer relations was one of huge. the topics yeah huge. it was a huge if not the number one maybe paid social was the number one right. topic that yep. i heard second one was influence <laughs> that snapchat that, <laughs> and snapchat snapchat of course <laughs> but the idea of leveraging influencers is incredibly important today but it has nothing to do with the death of content marketing if there is such a thing which that's right not. um and, and then the other thing is and i think that after reading this, I think David would probably agree. I don't want to speak for him, but you know, David says that he basically makes the, the statement, content marketing came after social media and mobile, and it enjoyed a good run. There's a lot of people in the comments that said, hey, David, that's not really true. You know, yeah. Content marketing has been around for a long time. I, it looks like David would agree with that, but yeah, I think the point of this whole thing is, is that there's no need to take content marketing down with the idea that influencer relations is super important today right. and it's, it's like last be. week it's just like last week we you know why do you gotta be a hater when you come on and talk about the value of something classic i totally get it great because marketing is great marketing and influencer relations is a great wonderful approach why you gotta bring us down while you talk about that i don't understand it i i don't know either because you and i predicted that this was going to happen on a weekly basis and it is happening on a weekly basis and how many how many uh, death of content marketing articles have there been in 2016 yeah a a lot gotta be at least 10 or 12 a lot so there's going to be more. There's going to be There'll more. be one next week, folks. Yeah, absolutely I'm right. sure there will be. <laughs> absolutely right. All right, let's move along from this, shall we? These are next two stories. There are two stories that we're going to pair together here um, because they just really seem to go together. And the first one comes from Boy Genius Report. Um, from uh, It says, Google says YouTube ads are 80% more effective than TV. Um, We're going to pair that with a story from AdAge.com that talks about Saturday Night Live decreasing their ad inventory by 30% next season and replacing it with branded content or content in in sort of content marketing style. So let me talk uh, first about the uh, the Google um, story, which is 
opens up by saying, if you want to know one surefire way or, uh, way to get the TV industry angry at you, tell them that their commercials aren't all that effective. That's exactly what Google claims in a new report in which the company analyzed ad campaigns across eight countries to find that YouTube ads were actually more effective than TV ads 80% of the time. I guess that's one of those stats like 80% of the time it works every time, right? Or something like that. Anyway, it said that through these 56, yeah, count them folks, 56 case studies that said that the investment should actually be double in Google. <laughs> Pay no attention here. No, There's six, no man behind that times. curtain. Right, exactly. It's not double. It yeah. says they should be six times more they should be spending <laughs> on YouTube advertising. Oh, my God. Well, let's take I th- this. I think this was an independent report. Yeah, exactly. Let's take this one first, and let's just let's just talk about it for a second here. So what did you – other than obviously this is – they've got a little skin in this game. What did you think about this study and what they're talking about? Uh, I – Look, it, there's probably a little bit of truth to this. I went, by the way, I, I went and tried to look and find the case study, the, the actual report. It's, they said it's being released, and I can't find it anywhere. So, you know, if you can find it, God bless you. It's, I, I, I went and found the event site, and I looked everywhere for it and couldn't find it. Well, and well, we've, we've, you've covered this many times on the show that the amount of money being spent on traditional television advertising is so much larger than what you're going to see. On digital, now, of is course, that getting even is right. that evening out? I, yes, we just talked about it in the last, but it's not. I don't think it's close yet. Correct? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Still, still, most is in traditional advertising. So I think that whatever, whatever, whether this case study that these are true or not or whatever doesn't matter. I think we probably should be if we're going to spend advertising, it probably wouldn't be such a bad idea to to look at this article and say, hey, there's probably some truth to that. That said. Come on, it's advertising. Let's be a little bit more innovative. Let's do something else. Let's do your own stuff, <laughs> right. right? Let's put some advertising be- behind our own content. I mean, it's just they're just it's it's almost like uh, you know, you got you got two people in the in the back of the room uh, in an uh, irrelevant conversation screaming at each other. And you want to just say, "Would you leave the room here? We're trying to have a important conversation." <laughs> That's how I feel about it. It's It's like we're trying to get down to a little bit more interesting business, but you want to keep talking about advertising. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, what is, y- I don't know. What do you- <laughs> well, look, I think you know. I, I I look at this and I say, you know, that 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 the number of times that you know you've looked at pre-roll, post-roll, mid-roll of an ad in a YouTube video. Guess what you're looking at. You're ninety percent of the time you're looking at them. That's a scientific number, by the way. Ninety percent of the time you're looking at their TV ad that they've yeah. shoved into the middle of the YouTube roll. So it's a t- it's made for TV, and is it effective? Probably not. You know, I've seen some incredibly innovative sort of pre-roll. The thing for Geico that they're doing now, where the ad is literally five seconds. You can't you can't skip it because it's over by the book before you can actually skip it. That's some interesting stuff right there. But let's be honest, it's not going to be any more effective than a brand awareness ad that's running on a thirty second spot in the middle of, you know, the blacklist, right? And so it's just not. It's just there's there's no way you can empirically prove that to me. Um, well, there is a way you can empirically prove that to me, but I'll have to read the study to be able to actually see that, and, and, and I can't get to the study. So I'm very interested to see what the empirical proof of this is that they said we should actually, in, in some cases, double or times six our investment in YouTube videos rather than, rather than television. Well, so the problem is twofold. The problem is you have, on the, on the buy side, you have two different groups of people making that decision. 
You have the digital budget, and then you have the traditional budget in right. a lot of cases. Right. And then on the sell side, and I'll give you an example. I'm trying to watch the Cavs play on my computer. I'm trying to watch the Cavs play uh, on TNT on the computer, and the the ads that I'm seeing on TNT are very, very different than the ones they have on reg- on on the regular television station, completely different, so much so that they couldn't even fill the space because I would see three ads and then I would see a placeholder that said, please wait for your programming to resume. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, yes. Wow. That's I'm not kidding you. So there they've got, I'm sitting there for 30 seconds, a minute in some cases, just looking at that screen. I'm like, wow, is that wasted inventory or what? So you can tell it's just totally disintegrated right now. Yeah. And that something has to happen there on both on both sides where, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, we're trying to target this audience. Here are our options coming out of the same budget. No, it's not the case. Yeah. Well, and so let's move on to the next story because that's a great segue into this, which is Saturday Night Live is going to decrease its ad inventory by 30% next season. This article comes to us courtesy of Ad Age, where it opens by saying NBC Saturday Night Live is paring down its commercial load with plans to cut about 30% of the ads out of the ste- uh, sketch comedy show next season. It'll do this by removing two commercial breaks per episode, giving viewers more content, uh, said Linda Yaccarino, chairman, advertising, sales, and client partnerships at NBC Universal. They go on to talk about how they're going to start offering up custom content development done by the Saturday Night Live cast. This, to me, is absolutely genius. I think this is one of the smartest things that I've seen TV do in a, in a long time. We talked about this. This uh, is Joe Conan does yeah. yeah Conan we, does we, this. Exactly. Jimmy Fallon does this. Exactly. Yep. And we also talked about it. I don't know when it was. Maybe six months ago when we talked about how Funny or Die, which is of course a website devoted to really funny people, and there's a whole comedy troupe that you know Will Ferrell is well known on that on that platform, et cetera, et cetera. Had created its own content studio to leverage for brands. If you want to go create your own Funny or Die video, you can actually hire them, and they'll write it and start and cast it and shoot it and they'll do the whole thing for you right and that's a really interesting thing because now here what you've got is actually a television network taking one of its you know historic and well respected sort of comedy troops and saying you know what we're now opening ourselves up to brands to create really interesting either you know call it content marketing call it branded content call it native advertising and i think the opportunities will be in all three of those areas yep. i think it's just a really interesting development here this is and i don't know how long this will go or what the ultimate future is but over the next five years this is what advertising is going to morph into. i think you're exactly, exactly. right exactly Where, whereas in five years there won't be any traditional ads on snl they'll all be skits uh, and they'll all be integrated into the shows, and then we're going to see this more in in all the real time uh, shows that are that are going on in uh, uh, what what are the shows that they don't put any production budget behind the reality shows? Sure. Oh yeah, I think you're going to see mean, it's with some of those. Well, as you're well. already just, starting to see product placement and those sorts of things get absolutely. into. Absolutely. But it's, you're even seeing, well. Here's the thing too yeah. for SNL, it's great because you can charge a premium for that, and it's longer period of time. So you're oh, going to do, yeah. let's say you do a two-minute sketch. So t- take your 30 seconds times four. That's your media placement. Then you've got your your uh, your cost of putting together the sketch and all that time, the creative cost. This is this is a bigger yield. Yeah. I mean, and even if – and, and they can start offering – I mean, going back to the original part of our story, 
whether or not they decide, you know what, we're going to do, we're not going to put it on broadcast television. We're going to do this only on Facebook, or we're going to do this only on YouTube, or we're going to do this only on your website and make it, you know, available that way becomes Extra a snippets, re- yeah. Exactly. The well, or even the whole thing, right? I mean, yeah. you know, if I were if I had the budget and I was running a company big enough to sort of afford this kind of thing, I would have them do something for me and I would put it solely and exclusively on my owned media property. And I would obviously have something behind that so that it wasn't just a one-off, but it would be an interesting thing to create the behind-the-scenes and the snippets and those sorts of things and use that in the paid media format. Put and that on Facebook. Both. And then well, – exactly. That's, that's a great thing. I mean that's the same – and I talked about this when I used to work at Penton. We had the distribution. We had the audience. And we also had the talent. So we right. could do exactly. stuff that just for customers themselves to put on their own channels, or we could take that and put it and promote it to our own audience. And that's exactly what SNL is doing, and it's brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly it's right. It's going to be incredibly successful, and you're going to see more and more shows do this. And yeah, if newscasts are going to do it. I know you're going to hate that. It's going to yeah. happen on the news side. Yeah, I think. Well, and I, it may be. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I was having this discussion with somebody at Social Media Marketing World, where I was talking about, they were saying, "What do you think the the future of that sort of, you know, live video, whether it's Facebook Live video or Snapchat?" And I said, "You know, who should be shaking in their boots is the network news, right? Because as soon as network news starts to come through live video on Facebook or you know that sort of citizen journalism thing, I said that man, that's gonna that's just gonna be a, a game changer for for news organizations around the world because no longer." You know, it's going to be like watch it as it happens, not watch it just after. You don't it think happened. that that's happened already? It has in some ways, but I think what you've got now is you're starting to get the distribution model in there, right? The ability to do that has been around for a long time, yeah. but really the distribution model and being able to actually have it find you. You know, so one of the things is that I've often talked about is the fact that I don't really watch the news um, very much anymore. What I, the way I sort of comment on it is I say, look, if it's important enough, it finds me. Right. So my my normal surfing day or my normal sort of content consumption day, if the news is important enough, it finds me. I think that's most people, whether they recognize it or not, don't actually tune into the news every night to sort of study what's current events. They say, you know, either consciously or unconsciously, if it's important enough, it'll find me. And that's, I think, what has changed with Facebook Live Video and Snapchat and Periscope and sort of the live video platforms is – now it can find you because it will be a priority in your stream of, you know, on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever, and you'll start to see news that way, which provides an opportunity for those that are really interested in covering stuff and becoming, quote unquote, a news celebrity instead of a YouTube celebrity. Then I think there's a real opportunity there for it to, to create a business model that threatens the news organizations. It'll be, it'll be interesting. But yeah. I think that, well, good or bad, this is coming. Yeah, we can all prepare exactly. for it. There's bad, opportunities, right. benefits, and and tragedies that are going to happen. Exactly, that's well. exactly right. It's like Clayton Christensen said: "You may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so moving on to our last uh, our last story of the show here, and this one this one is an interesting one. Um, this one comes to us courtesy of the Harvard Business Review. And the title of it is The Social Cost of Bad Online Marketing. And this just feeds – this is another nice segue. I'm so grateful, actually, for the nice segues we've had this show. So this one opens up by saying that Dan Lyons' book, Disrupted, is an often delightful tour through startup culture. This sounds like your review last week. Based on the author's experience working at online marketing firm HubSpot, despite taking the faux curmudgeonly attitude of an anthropologist exploring the strange world of business dudes, is a sales funnel really that much of a novelty? Lyons' dissection of the startup world 
world is a warmly humorous far more than often that it's coldly cynical. But, this author points out and then goes on to explain, there are parts of his book that should send shivers down the spine of anyone who uses the internet, like his tale of writing blog copy that prioritizes generation above, lead generation above all else, to the point of explicitly eschewing smart content. The article then goes on to lament the sad state of the internet and how marketers have basically completely ruined the whole sandbox with their crappy marketing blog, bitstream, hub, hub, uh, buzzfeed, sort of Huffington Post-style head Headlines, And then here's the thing, and, and then I'll get your take on this show because this is totally where I sort of netted out on this. My favorite line of this whole blog post is when she basically answers her own question. I, 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 this is it's just it was it was very tasty. She says at the quote, this is toward the end of the post. She says, wouldn't it be terrific if we could be delivered from this dynamic, this horrible Internet dynamic, she, she explains, by some miraculous new marketing model that demonstrates the ROI of creating really great content, even if it costs more to create, as well as the benefit of a restrained approach to email, even if it yields fewer leads. Hmm. I wish there was something out there if, that did if that. Only, I, if only there was something out there that we'll actually have to continue did. to search. <laughs> it's just so. It's so. It's like. It, it's just like you know. It's like t-ball. It's just like right there. Um, anyway, so she goes on to talk about how the really the the sort of until this new magical model appears, we'll need to really rely on the realm of corporate social responsibility and sort of having brands talk about how they're socially responsible, the three bottom lines and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I don't mean to go off on a rant on this thing, but it's it to me, it's like, it's just right. It's right there. It's just right there. Why don't you? I, she can't not know about it. It's like, what, what, what's going on? I, look, Robert. <laughs> I used to adore Harvard Business. Uh, yeah, well, there's that. This was the place that, I mean, every month when it would come in print. That yeah. was it, right? It was required reading. Yeah. Well, still, and still, and, and still the print magazine. The print magazine is leaps and bounds beyond the blog, for sure. True, yes, but it's still Harvard Business Review. Yes, agreed. It's the same thing. It's like, that's uh, Forbes, you, like Forbes, you can't separate your content contributors from totally the print magazine. Agree. You can't say totally it's separate. Agree. It's still Forbes. Yeah, agreed. So that's my take. I mean, I, I know you had probably a lot more to say about this, and, and you kind of uh, took stole my thunder at the end. I'm just disappointed that the the editor, and by the way, some of this is fine writing, Oh, it's a great but, writer. Yeah, but when you good. get to the point of making a conclusion like this, you have an editor that comes to you and says, I think the case you're trying to make is a discipline that's out there. Did you want to mention that? Is that <laughs> right? Uh, right. It's it's a pretty well known discipline. It's been around for a couple hundred years. I mean, is that something you wanted to talk about? And because it, it goes through the whole idea of yes, I mean, we're we're sales driven uh, cultures for the most part. At a lot of these companies, we're trying to get get those leads as fast to the sales team. We're spamming people all over the place. We're, we're, we're focused on our quarterly numbers instead of uh, customers that know, like, and trust us and build loyal relationships over time. Yes, I get the whole whole thing. But yes, yet there is a solution. And the, the most I got out of it here was she just basically says, well, this really sucks. Right, exactly. Which actually That's she actually does say. That, yeah, that, right. That, that This whole thing sucks. Just, I wish, I wish, right. I wish. Right. And... And then you get the people in the comments that say, yay. Right. Um, this is great. 
Yeah. So I don't know. You had, I don't know if you had a bigger take on it. You, I, know? you know, my take on it is exactly that. It's like, I, I just, I was waiting for, I, ca- I was going through it and I, and she, she actually had me for a little while going through this. And then I got to the end and was like, oh, all right. Well, yeah. You know, ba- look, bad marketing has been around forever. Right. You know, I mean, we used to, you know, we used to yell at the billboards as we drove by because they were, you know, basically bleaching the neighborhood into something we didn't like. Right. We didn't like all these stupid billboards that had horrible pictures on them lining up on our drive home and sort of spoiling our ride home. Well, now and then we got on we got home and we sit in front of the television and we hate the sort of horrible marketing, you know, you know, buy now, buy now, buy now ads, you know, and we hate the ads and it's spoiling what was great about television. And we get into our car and we turn on the radio and the ads are spoiling what used to be a seamless music experience. And then we get online and banner ads and content are spoiling what used to be a, you know, a sullied, unsullied sort of internet. And guess what? It that's life. That's business today. That's what we do, you know. And it's the the to 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 be frustrated by that is one thing, but to 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 sort of uh, look at it and say this is just bad. I don't. I don't. In other words, great. It's bad. I thank you for that. We we got that. But to the the hope is when you read something in Harvard Business Review is that their second half of the article goes. But here's an answer. Here's here's, an answer. here's a possibility of an answer. Here is something that will you know that will actually lead to this sentence, payoff of this sentence, where she says, "Wouldn't it be terrific um, if this thing actually existed?" Well, that's the thing. There, there are. You could make the case that this is the greatest time in marketing and marketing examples I've, we've exactly. ever seen. Absolutely, yes. I would. Right. I would, absolutely. We've covered them incessantly on this show. So. To that point about being all negative and, and everything on one side has never been the case to what you just talked about. But you could say that this is the glory days, years, whatever the case is for marketers because it's, we actually can build an audience yes. without having to go through an intermediary. Yeah, we have to be, amazing stuff. We have to be grateful for this. We have to be grateful for this. We have to be thankful for that we live in a time when we have so much disruption in the space. I mean, imagine being a marketing person in the late 70s yeah. to, to early, early 80s, 80s, right, where it was basically rinse and repeat television, print, radio, television, print, radio, create a brochure, television, print, radio, create a brochure. It's really what you had at your disposal. And now we've got so many ways to sort of, you know, in her mind, spoil the internet, spoil the all the digital sort of interfaces that we have to to do. And I think the thing that gets me excited is how can we actually create that thing that I want to be the answer to her question. I want to be the answer to be, what if we could be delivered from this dynamic by some miracle new marketing model that demonstrates the ROI of creating really great content. I, you know, I got into this business because I wanted to create great content for people. That's what gives me passion. The fact that it also benefits the business is frosting on the cake. It's fantastic. It's, yeah, absolutely. You can benefit your company and the customers at the same time. And I think a lot of people still don't believe that that can be done. Yeah, I truly exactly believe right. it can be done and exactly. is being done. Speaking of creating amazing value for customers, 
we have the most awesome sponsor to talk about. I mean, absolutely sp- a returning sponsor, I might add. A returning sponsor, but I almost had to do a double take, Robert, because we had our last sponsor on for, I think it was something like 12 episodes in a row. Yeah. Which, and they'll be back. Don't worry. It's coming back. But we've got a wonderful <laughs> returning sponsor here, Marketo. Special thanks to Marketo to be absolutely. our sponsor. Episode number 128 of This Old Marketing. No matter what rumors you've heard, Robert, email is not dead. <laughs> oh, good. I was wondering. I was wondering, did you, yeah. Did you know that? I, I know you were thinking. Yeah. You were just thinking, was email dead? I'm here to tell you no. Okay. It's not dead. Fantastic. It's alive. It continues to be a top-performing marketing channel as long as you can stand out and cut through that clutter. And you need, you particularly, just you, Robert. Okay. Nobody else right. listening to this. All right. Absolutely. Robert. And everyone else, check out Marketo's highly effective email marketing lookbook to get inspired with nine new email types to stay in front and center with clever, catchy, and bold content. Love it. You can download this lookbook and examine the following types and best practices, including welcome emails, re-engagement emails, abandoned cart emails, advocacy and reward emails, and a bunch of other email types. Because if you don't know, (laughs) this book's got it. So if you are having any kind of issues with your email marketing, download this book. We've got, by the way, we've got a fancy new short link here. You can go to cmi.media slash PNR128. I thought that that was nice and short and simple. I'm going to read that again because yeah. I'm so happy to read this short yeah, little. Exactly. Yeah. That's... cmi.media slash PNR128. It's only taken us 128 episodes to get a CMI URL shortener in here. (laughs) Folks, sometimes change is hard and it takes time. And we're here to prove (laughs) it. It takes takes exactly 127 weeks for change to happen in any organization. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, 128. Thanks to the CMI team for making that possible. I'm going to read that again because I was laughing. CMI.media slash PNR128. You can get Marketo's highly effective email marketing lookbook. Special thanks to Marketo for being our sponsor of this episode of PNR's The Soul Market. That's fantastic, and I don't know if they—I don't know if they knew this going in, but the lookbook has actually a whole history behind it. So it's a—it's a really cool. I love the fact that they call it a lookbook. That's really—that's really cool. It's, it's, it actually is pretty valuable, pretty cool piece of content. Yeah. So. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite segment of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel tremendous gratitude or, quite frankly, something that makes us feel like uh, pushing ourselves away from the table and leaving our cereal half uneaten. Um, and so, uh, let's see, I have this old marketing, so I am first. Um, okay, you have a you have a rant. I do have a rant. Oh I do. It's goodness. a very we short rant. Back to back rants in a long. I know. Time. This I is know. a Great episode. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it, it is a rant. Um, it's very short. It's very very short rant. Okay. So, and it's just basically a helpful, hopefully it's a safety. Shrant. It's a shrant. It's a shrant. <laughs> it's I like it. It's hopefully a helpful. Man. It's a helpful safety tip for those of you who are either um, going back to what we were talking about with influencers and and content and, and those sorts of things, or those of you who actually on the publishing side deal with those people. So. Um, some would say that I have a little bit to say about this topic of content marketing. And so I got asked, um, as you got asked, but you were going to be out of the country. Um, and so forwarded it over to me, this opportunity to speak to a newspaper. 
And the newspaper says in the inquiry to you that you forwarded to me, it said something to the effect of, hey, we're going to do this um, uh, this content, and we're going to write this article about uh, content and the sort of transformation of marketing and content marketing and all of that. Would you be willing to be a source and be a, and, and, and comment on this? And you said, I would love to. I'm going to be out of the country. I'm traveling. But, so, Robert, I, I know you're going to be in town. Would you be able to do it? And, of course, I said, yes, I would love to do it. Let's schedule an interview. And, the inter- and the, sort of the reporter calls me up and says, hi, I'm the reporter with such and such uh, newspaper, and we'd love to do a, 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 you know, a chat and an interview with you about this content marketing thing. Wonderful. Great. And so we do that. We speak for 35 minutes and talk about all things content marketing. We talk about the usual suspects, the examples, why it's working, what the challenges are, all those sorts of things. And it goes great. And I say, great, when is this going to run? Because I would love to see it, you know, when it comes live. And he's like, well, I'm not sure. It's, you know, it's going to go in the print edition. We know that. And of course, um, you know, you're not local. So I I can send you. And I said, no, no, that's no problem. He said, but if it goes digital, I'll send you a link. And I said, great, no problem. So a few days go by and then the weekend goes by. And then Monday comes along and I wake up uh, and as I want to do because (laughs) – I'm egotistical like this. I check, sort of, I have a Google alert on my name. And all of a sudden, I see a Google alert from this newspaper with my name, you know, and it basically says, you're in the news. And I went, oh, okay. Click on it, and there I am. There's my big old mug staring out from this article, and the article is well-written, very nice, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. I'm like, yeah, this is a nice article. And then I get to the end, and there's a call to action. And the call to action is for the content studio for that newspaper that actually published the article. So it was actually a content marketing piece or a native advertising piece, in-house native advertising piece that was promoting the actual content studio. Now, they didn't tell me this. They didn't ask. They didn't, like, let me know. And, look, I'm a chill guy. As you all know in the audience, I am a chill guy when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, no harm, no foul. I'm not that upset by it. But there are people out there who will be. And it's, you know, who will be, who will take great umbrage at sort of this kind of, uh, of approach. So while this is like, eh, okay, I'm a little annoyed that I didn't know about this. And quite frankly, I don't know anything about this company or whether I support what they do or anything like that. The lesson here is, is that you've got to make sure that these people know. If they would have told me up front, I would have totally been cool with it. I have to admit, I would have been totally cool with it. The fact that I didn't know about it made me, A, not want to share it with my network, and B, most importantly, made me want to write the writer, which I did, and say, dude, like, uncool. And he came back, and I, I want to just tell you, he was completely apologetic and, and said, you know, I'm sorry that that happened, et cetera, et cetera. But just helpful safety tip going forward. This is the kind of thing that as you're an expert in your industry, you're going to get asked to do. And as someone who's in an industry asking influencers, you are going to make the ask. Just be – just t- say it. Just say it out loud. It, there's no sense in sort of doing it under the covers and trying to, and trying to do, it, uh, do it backwards like that. Anyway, and of rant wow that's that's heavy man <laughs> I'm sp- eh. totally uh totally shocked me actually because i sent that over to you yeah. and i was completely surprised by it um before i go into my actually very relevant to what you just said rant uh did i don't think we gave props to the person that sent us the snl article did ah, we? we did not. I, my we apologies. Did not. For okay, that. I yeah. have it here because it, we, it just came up right before the show. Yeah. Uh, it's from Fronana for Life, at Fronana for Life. 
By the way, did you know Fromanta <laughs> is a healthy, delicious alternative to ice cream made from bananas? I didn't know that. <laughs> but I like the name. Fronana. Thanks, Fronana. We appreciate banana, that. Banana, banana, banana. I mean, it's come on. It's name. right there, right? I'm really digging Fronana. All right. Fronana. All right. All right. They are not a sponsor of the show, ladies They're and gentlemen. They're not a sponsor. A completely just, organic mention. We just love right. our listeners. <laughs> Thank you, Fronana. Fronana. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, all right. So I have to – I'm going to take you back. This is not a lengthy rant by any means, but i got to take you back a little time. Let's take you back about six months ago. I was talking with a publishing friend of mine who works at a regional publisher here in Northeast Ohio. They were saying they were going to launch a new magazine, a new on digital and print magazine uh, that basically had native advertising in it. And I said, oh, okay. We talked about the whole details. And then they, they said that they've decided – not this person's decision, but the executive team decided that they weren't going to basically say that the native ads were paid. They were just going to run them as editorial. Wow. And I said, that's illegal. <laughs> well, like, it's not illegal, but it's it's immoral for sure. It's yeah. immoral, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually against FTC guidelines. Yes, exactly. And you could get fined, fined and punished right. for that. Yeah. Yes. So, and I, and honestly, Robert, I just said, look. I wouldn't do it. I'd mark it. Please pass the word on. It, it's just best practices to do that and to be upfront and transparent with your audience. It's like, okay, took it back. Well, I get back from Stockholm on Friday and, and uh, Sunday. So this is yesterday, Sunday night. I'm going through all my mail and I'm going through magazines and I get this one magazine. Here it is, a brand new magazine, and I start reading through it. I've got it here. I'm holding it right here in my hand. I'm not going to say what it is yet because I'm not ready to as of this point, kind of like you did as well. Right. And I start going through all the articles and looking at it and start to see, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this this company's awesome. This company does this better than anything else. And I'm like, wow, that's like you don't see that very often in editorial when it's that blatantly <laughs> right, exactly. like these guys are the best lawyers in the world. And I start looking at it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the publication that they had the conversation with me about. And I start going through. There's got to be 10 articles in here that were not marked paid. And I got to tell you, it was so funny. I was, I was next to my son Joshua when I was going through this last night, and I literally was fit to be tied. <laughs> and I'm going, and I'm getting, right. all other art, I'm getting other magazines. I'm like, this, you have to list it as paid content or native advertisement or something. You have to tell them. You can't just not say anything. And I'm at this point, Robert, where I'm, I'm not sure what to do because I'm going to contact them. That's only, it hasn't even been 24 hours since I saw this. But something has to be done, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to go and rail on them without them knowing. I actually want to give them an opportunity to do something so that the next issue they can mark it. Because I am I'm incredibly disturbed by it. <laughs> I can tell. As wow. you can tell. <laughs> I can tell. But again, yeah. this, is, this is sponsored content gone amok. Uh, and, and I think that um, one of us, maybe it's me, maybe it's both of us. <laughs> I think we, I think right. we have... I think we have to start standing our ground uh, along with the IAB and other organizations to say, you know, you really need to mark this stuff. Uh, and, and it's okay 
There's nothing wrong with paid advertising. Nothing wrong with native advertising at all. But you just have to say what it is. Exactly. Just like this. Your point is, I think people would read it just fine. Right. But the fact is, if you read this and then you find out after the fact that they paid for it, it just every the publication feels wrong. The person, the the brand involved feels wrong. So I think there's you have to. Well, here's the other thing. Well, we covered what five episodes ago that the FTC came down on the brand, not the publisher for this. Right. Guess who they're going to so, come after? Right. They're not coming after the publisher. That's exactly yeah. right. And yeah. I think that the you know the publisher needs to know that they are putting their customers in jeopardy. Right. By doing this kind of thing. So that's my rant. All right. I'm just, I was really just disappointed with the whole thing, man. Frick em, frick em, rah, 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 rah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> All right, then. Well, moving along then to our This Old Marketing. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful This Old Marketing, which I can't believe we haven't actually. Yeah. I can't believe we haven't covered it yet. Um, And it it, it came to me um, because of the trip that I was on this last week after I left you at uh, Social Media Marketing World. Um, I flew to Rhode Island, where I met with the lovely people at Schneider uh, Electric and just a just a, an amazing group of people. And they're going through content marketing um, uh, transformation, really. I mean, they're starting to get deeper and deeper and deeper into the process and the approach. And I was very lucky to help them facilitate a, a, a meeting there and, and, and get some, you know, do a little bit of a workshop there with them. And it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful day spent. And and what I was reminded of in doing my research and, and sort of my prep for the workshop is that they have an amazing property already up in existence and, quite frankly, has been in existence existence for, I believe, a decade. Um, and at least, at, certainly at least the last seven years, and I've, I've been looking to see actually when it launched, and I believe it's about 10 years ago, it is their Energy University, which is a completely separate website, really. Um, and the Energy University is a free online educational resource that Schneider Electric backs and produces and puts all the curriculum together. Um, and then it teaches basically anybody who wants to sign up about energy usage, technical developments in various industries, management solutions to energy consumption challenges. They've got just hundreds of courses. I'm going to say nearing 500 courses um, across the entire scope of the university. They've got half a million, half a million subscribers to this thing. And over, um, and, and like 750,000 courses taken um, through this. And so everybody's been through, you know, at least one, if not multiple courses. Um, huge reach to what they're doing across the entire world, right? It's not just U.S. This is, they translate the courses into different languages for different markets um, and all sorts of different things. They have a whole process for the content. There are people who manage the university and manage the thing there. And Basically, they manage this with a couple of different measurable results, which is one, new business that it generates, and they're just getting their arms around how that's really generating better and new customers. Two, as I talked about earlier with the Emerson example, actually, which is a little prep I did with, with them as well, they, they look at it as how are they actually getting people educated and excited in the target markets in which they operate so they can really focus promotional activities to where their biggest customers are and to actually talk about all of the wonderful successes they've been in educating the local markets to wonderful. And so the data coming out of this in terms of what regional markets are really taking the courses and where do these people. And also, of course, these become people who can be targeted as potential employees um, for for their customers as well as for Schneider um, as well. And then 
also brand awareness and net promoter score of this being the company that brings you a free, impartial, wonderful educational platform to learn about all these wonderful high-level concepts, right? You know, the science behind electric vehicles and charging stations and physics concepts. And you walk away with this really clear educational experience that has nothing to do with them selling more equipment, but has everything to do with about making people more knowledgeable, more interested, more passionate about pursuing stuff um, in the electrical engineering um, uh, department. And it's just a wonderful example of something that has been around for, uh, like I said, I think it's been 10 years now and continues to expand. And when I was visiting with the uh, Schneider people this this past week, I was asking, they're like, yeah, it's an active initiative for us. We've got it. We've got our 2016 plan in place. It's an ongoing thing. We're creating stuff. We're creating new courses. We're getting them translated. It's a, we've got demand from local markets for more courses. It's a, it's a thing for us. And to me, it's just a fantastic example of this old marketing and one that even continues today. It's amazing. I'm checking it out right now. The amount of classes in here. It's pretty, it's mind boggling. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a full on university. I mean, it's huge. It's impressive. Yeah. Gratitude, man. Gratitude. I'm gratitude. I'm grateful for the folks at Schneider. They're, they're, they're good people. They're really, really good people. So what's your uh, what's your plans for the rest of the week? I have a quiet week, my friend. I am actually um, heads down doing some getting some well needed uh, writing done, creating a couple of presentations, um, and then I am off early next week to Philadelphia for a quick keynote presentation that I'm giving, and then back um, back in um, back in action the following week. So it's a quiet week for me. How about you? Very good. I got a couple local gigs uh, that I've got to do some speeches for. I've got uh, a quick trip to Kansas City. I got to Kansas City. I'll be on Thursday. Oh, you're going to get some barbecue while you're there? Get some barbecue. Oh, yeah, I think so. Kansas City barbecue, man. Oh, my God. Barbecue. And then uh, let's see what I. Then next week, I've got a couple trips. So, and then the rest of May is really unbelievably. I mean, it's good, but it's bad from a travel standpoint. I will be traveling a lot. We're going to have to figure out what you, what you and I are going to do. Yeah. Well, I'm traveling it's a bunch good. too, but it's a, but it's a, it, the minor shorter trips, minor sort of short day trips. So I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to oh, be good. I like. It's, yeah. It's got. It's all good, man. Fantastic. Um, all right, my friend. I am grateful for you and and grateful for all of you as well. So that is it for episode number 128 for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And folks. If you like this episode, number 128, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe, let us know. Send us a quick note on the hashtag on Twitter at This Old Marketing. We would absolutely love to thank you personally for subscribing. That's how much we appreciate you and are grateful for you as a subscriber to this little podcast that we do every week. And of course, story ideas, ideas for This Old Marketing. Tweet us up also at the hashtag at This Old Marketing. And you know, if you've got a question and you do love that little classic thing called email, you can send an email to This Old Marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available in the show on Monday night through the subscription. And then, of course, on the show post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.